You are listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. Well, Merry Christmas. Awesome, awesome. At this time, our uh, twos and threes-year-olds, you're dismissed to your classes uh, for, for nursery. And, uh, and if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, that, is, that is okay. We've got copies for you. You can just raise up your hand and one of our members will bring one to you. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Keep them raised. We've got copies. We're good. Awesome. So in case you didn't know, today is Christmas Eve. If, I, if that's breaking news to you, I'm sorry. Actually, you're welcome. Today's Christmas Eve, right? It's truly, as Andy Williams penned for me, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, we get, yeah, it's just, uh, we love it, right? It's, it's an awesome, sentimental season. But uh, there, is, there is a danger that comes to, with this Christmas season. Uh, you know, it's very popular to be penned for people to say, uh, don't lose the reason for the season, right? We hear that often. But it's because uh, there's a temptation during this Christmas season. We, get so, we can get so wrapped up in seasonal sentimentality. We can get so wrapped up in fables and myths. We can be so enamored with the temporal or completely, we can be completely lured away from why we gather, why we celebrate, why we stop and, and, and visit time with family and make much of this season. Theologian David Garland, he writes a warning to this kind of similar thing in his commentary in Luke. And this is what he says with this passage. He says this, it may be unpopular to the world to trespass on popular images associated with Christ's birth and to debunk myths, but it is theologically dangerous for the account of his birth to be hijacked by fiction. Christmas fables lure us to seasonal sentimentality. The sentimental Christmas may be popular as a religious holiday for some because it can come off as celebrating the birth of a helpless baby. Jesus lies in a manger to be gazed upon, to be adored, but not to be heard and heeded. A speechless babe wrapped tightly in swaddling cloths seems more obliging in allowing people to tailor their religious, religious beliefs however they see fit. My prayer this morning and aim for us is that we would simply, that we would not just simply gaze at baby Jesus in a manger. That we would not simply add this moment, Christmas Eve church service, to the list of things that make this season sentimental for us and family. My prayer this morning is that if myths get debunked and if popular images get trespassed on by God's word, we would be okay with it and rejoice because his word is better. And I pray this morning that we would hear from and heed Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. 
So if you will, follow along with me as I read the birth narrative of Christ our Lord. As we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and after that we'll pause and pray that God would help us. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David this day, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning echoing the prayers that have already been prayed. Lord, you are great. You are mighty. You are holy and majestic and altogether lovely and perfect. And Lord, we, we, we just thank you for what we just read. We thank you for the, for, for the words of this crazy, amazing story true story that we just read. So I pray as we are about to sit under your word, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear truly from your word. 
pray you would open up our eyes to actually see who you are. Pray that you would open up our heart to if our myths get debunked and popular images get trampled on, we pray that our, you would change our hearts to love you and to rejoice. Um, so I just pray you'd be with me, God. Help me to say only true things, and I pray that your, your spirit would just be with us as we sit under your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Brandon alluded to, for the past three weeks, we have been journeying through the different accounts that Luke records of the different heraldings of Christ's coming birth. We started three weeks ago with, with, uh, with, with, with the angel appearing to Mary and telling her, hey, something's about to go down. Then we, we, we sat under, when, when Darren preached, uh, Mary's beautiful song of response, of faith. Last week, we saw Zechariah's prophecy of the coming Jesus, that he would be the light of the world. And all of that, all of those, all of what we've looked at for the past three leads us to this moment. Luke 2, 1 through 21. Because Jesus has been born. He's here. Like, and, and although the sentimental Christmas picture that we talked about, it, the sentimental picture of like a happy young family giving birth in an in a ideal way to a happy, full of, I don't know how, but the baby already looks like he's like eight months old and got hair and fully happy. Although that picture sells, like it, it's, it's joyous, right? It's not quite the picture that Luke portrays in this account. So today we're going to see three truths in this passage about, what, about what, what's going on here. So truth number one is this. Jesus' birth displays his humility. Truth number one, Jesus' birth displays his humility. Right off the bat here in Luke 2, we are reminded of a painful fact. We're reminded of a painful the painful thing that God's people are in captivity. Even in their own land, they were underneath the Roman rule. They're underneath Caesar's rule, even in Israel. We're reminded of this fact from the beginning. And, and Caesar gives a decree to do what? To each one, wherever you're staying at the moment, go back to where you're from so that you can be registered and counted. This was done so that they could be taxed the full amount for taxation purposes, but not just that. It was done uh, in order for Caesar to kind of show his dominance still, right? Like, hey, don't get it twisted, Israelites. I'm still in control here. So I'm going to make you travel however far you need to travel and obey my command because you're under Roman rule. That's what's going on here. So Mary and Joseph, they got to go. They got to go and obey the law of the land. Look at me at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, that's where they lived, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and lineage of David. So just capture the scene with me. Mary, as we're about to read, she is full term, to say the least. Uh, eight, nine months pregnant, and because Joseph's family is from Bethlehem originally, they have to make the anywhere between 80 to 100 mile trek south from 
Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to obey Caesar. And of course, there was no cars back then, if you didn't know that. No cars, uh, no planes, no trains. So they either made this journey on foot, or they made this journey uh, maybe with the help of a donkey. Caesar thought he was in control. Caesar thought that he was ruling over the Israelites, charging them to come so he can get money and status from them. But listen to this promise that we read in the Old Testament. Micah 5.2 prophesies this about the coming Savior. This is what we read, Micah 5.2. He says this, but you owe what? Bethlehem, Apathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Caesar thought he was in control, but little did he know, God was actually using him as a pawn to fulfill prophecy hundreds of years before. Not only this prophecy in Micah 5 too, but Bethlehem is the city of David. Joseph was from the line and lineage of David. Listen to this prophecy given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. It says, when this, Jesus, or God promises this to David. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, 2 Samuel 7, sorry on the screen. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, this is what God's word says, I will raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here's what Luke's telling us. This one coming from David, born in Bethlehem, is the everlasting king, and he's almost here. Caesar thought he was in control. He thought his reign was what was happening here, but his reign would end when he died in AD 14. But King Jesus's reign will never end. So our eyes are peeled, right? We read this already. We're like, oh snap, the king is about to be born. Where is he? Look with me at verse six. The time comes for Mary to give birth. Here it is. Verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. How many of us have either sat through or maybe been a part of like a Christmas play that portrayed this innkeeper as this like harsh uh, hotel manager who just like slams the door and is like really mean. No, there's no room. There's no room for people like you. I mean, I... I've been a part of plays like that. It's fine. It's well-meaning. But that's not really what's going on here. It's not really what's happening here. Uh, Joseph, what do we read? He was from Bethlehem. So he would have had family. He would have had close friends. Definitely family that, that he could have stayed with. And the word used in verse 7 for in, this word used in, for in in verse 7 it could also be translated as the word guest house. For instance, uh, the same word is used two other times in the New Testament, and both of those times it's translated as guest house. One of those times, actually both of them, 
are in Mark 14 and Luke 22, and it is when Jesus is giving his disciples um, like the, the, the know about the Passover meal, that they're about to, his last supper that he's about to share. And what does he say? He says, go find that dude who's got a colt tied up, and he will take you to his house, verse 14, and it says, they enter the master's house, the teacher says, where is the guest room? Same word for him. Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So instead of thinking about like a Motel 6, we should probably, is, no, it is more appropriate for us to think about the guest house of, of someone that they would have stayed with, a family member or a friend. And, and, and at this time, I promise this is worth it. At this time, there was, it was customary in someone's home to have at least two levels. The, the top level would be uh, for where the family would eat, sleep, hang out, do the normal thing. And then the bottom level was reserved for the animals that they had. So at night, they could bring in their animals. They could get reprieve from the elements. They could get out of harm's way. They could eat. They could drink. They could sleep all underneath the confines of shelter. So the time comes for Mary to give birth in a guest house, but in that guest house, for some reason, there's no place for them. We can speculate, like either, like there's a lot of people who traveled to Bethlehem, right, because they had to get counted, so all the out-of-town guests were here. Maybe the room was occupied and it was really cramped. Maybe, maybe someone of higher rank was staying there. We don't know. Maybe, but maybe, I mean, if you've been through a birth it's a lot that takes place when, birth, when a birth happens, to say the least. There's a lot of commotion and a lot of room is needed. So for whatever reason, there's no room for them. There's no place for, the, for them in the guest house for this birth to happen. So here's where they find themselves. Picture the scene with me. Mary, Joseph, no place in the guest house. And where do they go? They go someplace that has a, they go find a place that they can give birth, and they go to the animal quarters of this house. How do we, why do we know that? Because it says Jesus was laid in a manger. How do we translate that? Manger also equals feeding trough. That's what Jesus was placed in, a feeding trough. So this is the picture. Mary's about to give birth, not in the normal confines of a house, in the animal quarters of that house, no doctors present, no midwife present. Here they are. Just Joseph, Mary, and maybe some animals here and there. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, laid him in a feeding trough because there was no place for them in the end. Friends, this is how King Jesus entered into the world. The King of Kings was not born into a king's palace. The King of Kings was not born in the comforts of Mary and Joseph's own home. The King of Kings was not born in a normal shelter that normal people would enjoy, but he was born among animals. The king of kings, well, after he was born, he was not placed in an ornate, beautiful, majestic swaddle and clothes. 
that he deserved. He was placed in normal swaddling cloths. The king of kings was not placed in a custom-made bassinet or a custom-made crib fit for a prince. He was not even placed in a crib or bassinet, but he was placed in a feeding trough. This is a lowly birth. And yet at the same time, Jesus is truly and fully God. Born a baby, and yet he did not become less God. This is mind-blowing. At the same time that he's laying there as a newborn baby, Colossians 1, 15 through 17 is still true. Look at me at Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, being Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That was still happening when Jesus was a newborn baby. In, in their song, God Made Low, Sovereign Grace Music, I think puts, I mean, captures this pretty crazy, mind-blowing display of humility in the third verse of their song when they write this. As he, being Jesus, as he sleeps among the hay, he holds the moon and stars in place. Though born an infant, he remains the sovereign God of endless days. That's wild. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And this humble birth, this humble entry into the world, it would have gone unnoticed. It would have gone unnoticed. Actually, sorry, I skipped the next part. This humble entry would set the stage for how Jesus lived his life. Remember, he would be the one. This Jesus would be the one who, at supper with his friends, kneeled, grabbed a towel in the basin, and washed his disciples' nasty feet. He is the same, this is the Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by, by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He did what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God has come to us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And this makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world. Any other relief, belief system says, yeah, there's a higher power, but here's what you do in order to have a relationship with him. You got to be as good as you possibly can. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to try really, really, really hard and climb the mountain, and then maybe God will love you. That's what every other belief system at its core says. But that's not the story that the Bible tells us. The story the Bible tells us is that for God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. The, the story of the Bible is that God humbled himself and took on flesh. Jesus was born in humility. And this birth would have gone unnoticed. It was under the, 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 the darkness of night. The Son of God was being born in Bethlehem, and no one knew what was happening. 
that was until God announces it. In verse 8, the focus shifts from Jesus' birth, verses 1 through 7, then 8 through the rest of our time, it focus shifts to the proclamation, the heralding of his birth. And with that focus shift, a scene change happens. Scene 1, wherever they were, no place for them in the inn, among animals, Jesus is born. Scene 2, a random field out in the country. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. Let's pick up there. Verses eight says, verse 8 says this. And in the same region nearby, there were shepherds, shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Truth number two is this. The announcement of, God, of Jesus' birth displays the heart of God. The announcement of Jesus' birth displays the heart of God. So God only, where's the first place God shows up? Shows up in a manger, in a room meant for animals in Bethlehem. But now God's glory shines where? In the temple in Jerusalem. Got to be, or in Jerusalem, right? With the religious elites, right? No. Where does it show? In a random field with some random no-named shepherds. This is how God decides to announce the, the turning point. <laughs> the turning point. Uh, Spanish translations, mainly. That's okay. Uh, this is how Jesus, this, this is how God decides to, to proclaim that he's the biggest point in the history of the world. Listen, if Jesus were born today, and it was happened the same way in Luke 2, God's glory would not shine here at this church. God's glory wouldn't shine with kings and presidents and religious people gathered together. But if he did it in the same way here, God would announce his, the birth of his son. The glory would shine to construction workers working the graveyard shift. This is what's happening in Bethlehem, or right outside Bethlehem in a field. While no one knew what was happening, the glory of God is appearing to these normal, unassuming blue-collar working shepherds. So how does this announcement display the heart of God? God doesn't desire worldly, awesome, proud, elite folks. He doesn't. You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be impressive to have a relationship with God. In fact, you should desire not to be impressive because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So many times I hear from people something like this. No, so many times, a couple times, I hear from people something like this. I'm glad you found your, your God is happy, but before I come to church, before I come to God, I've got to work on myself a little bit. Like I've, got to, I've got to get some things figured out behind the scenes, and then I can present myself before the Lord. If that's you, I just want to... I just want you to consider where you are right now. Where are you? You're in a church surrounded by 
people who love God. You have been worshiping God this morning. And you have the Word of God open on your lap. God's Word is God's glory revealed to you. This is what God's Word is to you. So this book and what we're doing right now is better than the visit of an angel. This is God's holy, revealed self to you this morning. So if you think, I can't, I, I got to better myself before I come to the Lord. He's displaying his glory to you right now, the same way he did to some unassuming, no-name shepherds. To be a Christian doesn't mean that you've got, like when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we don't gather to strut ourselves and say, we've got it figured out and the world doesn't. That's not what we do here. We gather because we know we're sick and need a healing embrace. So what is the heart of, let's, yeah, we're, un, let's say you, you, you get it. Yeah, I am, I am unimpressive. I'm a sinner. What is God's heart towards unimpressive sinners like you and I? His heart is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His heart is near those who have broken hearts. His heart is near those who are meek and wounded and broken. His heart gives rest to the weary who really need rest. His heart gives rest to the tired and worn out who desperately need it. His heart is gentle and lowly. And he tends to choose what is ordinary in the world to do extraordinary things. That's what he does. That's what the story of the New Testament shows us, the, the words of the New Testament. He chooses random, ragtag folks like shepherds to do extraordinary, magnificent things. Remember what God's Word says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. He says this, But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the strong, to the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are so that God would get all of the glory. In God's taxonomy, weakness is strength, foolishness is wisdom. So we've seen to whom the angels proclaim the announcement of Jesus' birth, but what's the content of their proclamation? What are they actually saying? This is truth number three. Truth number three is this. The announcement of Jesus' birth displays his mission. The announcement of Jesus' birth displays his mission, his identity, who he is. Listen for that as I read verse 11. The angel proclaims to these random, no-name shepherds, he proclaims to them this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What are they proclaiming by saying this? They're saying, the one who is being born is not simply a good guy. He's not simply a good prophet like the rest of them, but he's better. The angel proclaims that this is the long-awaited Savior you've been looking for. The hope that Israel clung to for thousands of years. The angel says, he's here. 
The one born, they say, is Isaiah's great light. The one born is Abraham's foretold offspring. The one born is the blessing of Jacob. He is Judah's might. He is the true son and king of David. He is the desire of nations. He's the promised salvation. He's God with us. That's what the angel is saying. It's God. It's him. And if you're an unsuspecting shepherd, if you are an unsuspecting shepherd, you got to be thinking, what in the world is happening right now? Like I was out in the flock, minding my own business, tending my sheep, and now there's an angel, terrifying angel, in front of me saying, hey, the long-awaited Savior is here, and I'm saying it to you. So, the obvious answer is, after being scared and coming back to, the obvious answer is, well, that's awesome. Where is he? Where is this long-awaited Savior, Messiah, that you have said is here? What kingdom is he in? What palace? Under what bloodline is he from? Where can we find this majestic one? Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger or a feeding trough. This sign is mind-blowing. <laughs> this sign is unexpected. This sign could only be what God has put into place. But that's not all from this scene. Verse 13 tells us that this one angel is joined by a whole host of angels, an army of angels. And they, they burst out, and this is what they proclaim, verse 14. Proclaiming the birth of Jesus, they say this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, if you were to ask the shepherds, what was that night like? They would not say this. It was a silent night. Uh, they wouldn't say that at all. This was no silent night. There's an army of unnumbered, evidently terrifying angels proclaiming to them the glory of the God shining around them saying, the one you've been looking for is in Bethlehem. Go find him. He's, but he's baby, wrapped in swaddling cloth. Doesn't look like how you want him to look, but he's here. And of course, the shepherds are bewildered. They are intrigued, so they go in haste. They go quickly to go see, check out, and see if this is true. Let's pick up in verses 17 through 20. So what we read, it says this, And when they saw it, they being the shepherds, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, that this child was Christ and Savior and Lord, wrapped in the normal cloths, lying in a manger. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she'd already been told this, right? Angel Gabriel. She treasured up all these things in her heart. Or she treasured up all these things and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I would imagine the shepherd's life has been forever changed because of this one night in Bethlehem. Not because they met a cute baby, not because they met a, a precious young family, but because God's glory shone to them and they visited the everlasting Lord and King of Kings lying in a feeding trough. 
J.I. Packer, famous theologian, he writes this in his book, Knowing God, famous book. He writes this on this chapter on the incarnation. He says this, the Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. And he says, but this is only half the story. Indeed, what we just read in Luke 2 is a glorious story. It's a glorious story, but it's only half the story. If, <laughs> because this Jesus, this Jesus who was at the beginning of his life, born and placed into a wooden feeding trough, is the same Jesus who at the end of his life is raised on a wooden cross for sinners like you and me. Although the shepherds had no idea They had no idea what the angel was actually telling them by proclaiming him as Christ and Savior and Lord. They were proclaiming, hey, this Jesus is really him. He is Savior and he is coming for a purpose. And that purpose is to save humanity from their sins. Jesus came for the purpose of giving up his life. You cannot celebrate Christmas without remembering Easter. You can't do it. If you celebrate Christmas without remembering Easter, you're celebrating half, half of a beautiful story, but not a complete story. The baby born in the manger, the baby born in the feeding trough would be the man who lived a sinless life. The baby born in the manger would be the man will be the man who was beaten, mocked, and scourged for sinners like you and me. The baby in the manger will be the one who willingly hung on a cross. The baby who was born would be the man who died at the hands of sinners and the Romans the baby who was born would be the, the, the man, rather the God-man, who took on himself all the penalty of my sin and all the weight of your sin and the sin of the whole world on his shoulders. And the baby who was born is the God-man who didn't stay dead, but he rose up in victory, taking a victory lap over sin and Satan and death forever. Don't celebrate Christmas without remembering Easter. So why? Why was Jesus born? Why? What are we doing here? If we're not going to do the whole sentimental Christmas thing, what are we celebrating here? Well, he was born to die for you. Jesus was born to die for you. Hebrews 2, 17 says this, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brother's had to be made like us, put on flesh, become a person, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or, or sanctification for the sins of the people. And praise God, he did it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't fail his mission. He accomplished his mission. And he's at the right hand of God right now, ruling and reigning. So I want us to look at three truths. Now that we've kind of walked through the text, no, sorry, three takeaways. Now that we've walked through this text, I want us to look at quickly at three takeaways. There's lots of takeaways, but just three. Just three for you this Christmas Eve. First one is this. 
Know that Jesus was born for you. Know that Jesus was born for you. If we read too quickly through this narrative, we might miss, I missed it the first time I was reading through because I'm so familiar with the story. I missed just what the angels say to the shepherds. It says this in verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you, shepherds, unto you sitting in this room, in the city of David, is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You sitting in this room, Jesus was born for you. He was born to live and die for you. He was born to offer you eternal life. He was born so that you could be reconciled back to the Creator, to God Himself. So what are, you gonna, what are we going to do about it? We open this by thinking about the dangers of just adding baby Jesus, helpless little baby Jesus. We, add, we started by just the dangers of, of adding this Jesus onto the list of what makes this Christmas season sentimental to us. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a, a cute baby that you can add to your life and not cost you anything? You can tailor your beliefs around? Or is he your Lord? Is he Christ and Savior of your life? He was born for you. So hear him and heed him this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that, that's good news. That is good news for great, of great joy for all the people, and it's for you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, you can do that right now. You can do that today, and your life will never be the same. Takeaway number two is this. Don't, it's simple, don't miss Jesus. Takeaway number two, don't miss Jesus. Jesus was born in darkness, and everyone missed it, except for shepherds. But how did they get notified of it? God himself had to literally come, and his glory had to shine. They had to be terrified in order for them to take it seriously. Everyone missed it except for them. Jesus grows up, and during his lifetime, he is exactly who he says he was going to be. And everyone misses it, except for a group of ragtag disciples that Jesus literally plucks out for himself. And the same is true now. Jesus is who he says he is. And he's at the throne of God, reigning as the Savior of all the world. And the world is missing it. So don't miss. Don't miss Jesus. The shepherds' lives are wrecked because they saw one promise get fulfilled. How many promises have we seen get fulfilled in Christ? More than we even, we probably know like 5% of the ones because we just are dull of hearing. After we can sit on this side and see his death, burial, and resurrection, we see all the promises he's fulfilled and is going to fulfill. So don't, don't miss Jesus. Don't get too busy. Don't get bogged down by too much stuff. Then you miss the one born in the feeding trough for you. And then takeaway number three is this. Respond like the shepherds and worship Jesus. Respond like the shepherds by worshiping Jesus. 
Listen, the shepherds' lives were never the same, right? They were just never the same after they saw and heard and saw what they saw that night in Bethlehem. How much more are we, when we look back on not only the cradle, but the cross, how much more can we not be the same? We don't just see half the story like the shepherds saw, but we get the privilege of looking back and seeing the whole story from cradle to the cross. How much more should we respond by doing what the shepherds did, glorifying and praising God for all that we have seen and heard? We're about to respond with two songs, and the first one we're going to respond with is O Holy Night, but with some variation of verses. And this is what verse 3 says. Verse 3 of O Holy Night says this, Come then to him who lies within a manger, with joyful shepherds, Proclaim him as Lord. Let not the promised son remain a stranger, but in reverent worship, make Christ your adored. Eternal life is theirs who would receive him. With grace and peace, their lives he will adorn. Fall on your knees. Receive the free gift of heaven. O night, this night when Christ was born. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that we will respond rightly. Lord, I, I do pray if there's anyone in this room who has never faced who you are, uh, that you would wreck lives and that you would show who you really are as a Savior and Christ of all the world. Uh, we pray for us as we respond that we would respond like the shepherds, that we would not be silent. We could not be silent about what we have seen and heard in the gospel message. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.